If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, Just Not Sports. Today's show is a double feature. We'll start by talking to Dallas Mavericks forward Jeremy Evans, who stormed to victory in the NBA Talent Challenge with his artistic prowess. Then we'll talk to CBS Sports NFL insider Jason LaConfora about his lifelong love of punk music. And one of us will confess about being a punk rock poser in high school. Adam, I'm looking at you. And with Ronda Rousey and Von Miller showing up on Saturday Night Live recently, we'll take a look at the checkered history of real players joining the Not Ready for Primetime players. And we'll start a social media campaign to get Brian Scalabrini next week's hosting gig. (laughs) I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Joining me in the studio, a leading sports media strategist who has worked with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands, it's Adam Willard. Adam, how are you? Entering that, um, entering that post-football season depression where I don't really have any idea what to do on Sundays. Drinking helps? No, drinking is a depressant. I mean, teach you about <laughs> these things. It doesn't help. Makes things worse. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's talking about his love of floating in a sensory deprivation chamber. <laughs> that is relaxing. And, Don't knock it till you try it. And we have another co-host who's hopefully <laughs> a little less depressed. He is an Emmy-winning sports producer in New York City, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how are you? Good, Adam. I mean, I've really, as I've explored my midlife crisis of the last six months and quit drinking, I've started rock climbing. That's been good. Of course you Uh, You know, yeah, yeah. Tattoos, the full Brooklyn hipster experience. So I I would suggest any of these things to fill the void after after football season. Well, I do do my Um, martial arts. I just haven't had a chance to go in a while. But physical violence always makes me feel better. Yeah, man. I haven't been to the wall since uh, before the Super Bowl, so it's probably time to get back. So Did you call it the wall? Yeah, man. <laughs> Brad, and, Brad and I just gave each other a look like, I haven't been to the wall. And by the wall, I mean a 10-foot high rubber wall, a rubber mat on the side of a wall in a Brooklyn YMCA. It's like a Michael Bay film, The Wall. <laughs> Oh, just well, yeah. There you no. You guys saw K two, right? The Widowmaker. <laughs> yeah, it's just like that. G two, The Widowmaker, the saga of Gareth. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of people who deserve beatings from Adam, put your hands together for our producer extraordinaire, Mr. Joe Reed. Joe, what do you have to say for yourself? And we didn't give we didn't give him a mic again this time. Hold on, you're, you're in the room with Joe. Ask Joe when his birthday is. Joe, when is your birthday? Wait, you, he can hear you, Gareth. I don't know why. Like, yeah, he has headphones talking? on. He's the producer. Would you tell Joe to Make pass the butter? I'm not talking to him right now. <laughs> Joe, when's your birthday? My birthday is March. Fifth. It's that? rapidly approaching. We should probably buy Joe a microphone for his birthday. <laughs> I don't really want to invest in Joe. 
This this has worked kind of well without him talking. I don't know that we need every to night that. Joe goes behind the Best Buy in northern in the northern part of Chicago and waits for that night's garbage and looks for old microphones that were returned. And then he brings do. them here. <laughs> He's the Freegan producer. Uh Joe. Well, if you were talking, I'm sure you'd say how excited you are for this week's show, and we're excited too. Uh, I want to get into the comment of the week. Uh, last week we did pose to people. If you leave us a hammer, we will automatically read it on air. And zero hammers. So, Sparkle Ponies, step up your game. If all you do is leave a comment on iTunes for us, you're at the mercy of me picking the best comment. And this week, we do have a best comment. Hmm. It's from Steve Boyle Photo, who says, Finally, a sports podcast about everything but sports. The host's voice are smooth and angelic. Nice. Well, that's nice, but I only take audio advice from Steve Boyle Audio. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, my God. Dude, was that a written joke? How long have you been sitting on that? <laughs> about nine hours, guys. <laughs> nine hours. It was a train ride over here. Oh, this is going to slay. <laughs> I, I saw the grin slowly build on your face uh, as yeah. the line seeped out of you, and I hope you're happy with yourself. I'm like, I'm like, we're gonna have to edit out the obnoxious laughter from the guys in the studio. From Steve I just Boyle. give you credit for not laughing beforehand, uh, <laughs> for laughing at your own, for not laughing before at your own. Well joke. done, well done. Well, Steve Boyle, photo. Um, thanks again. And if you are listening to the show very, very intently, Adam still hasn't heard from you via cell phone. So, wink, wink at that. That's all I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. On this show, we don't just invite people on. We publicly shame them until they come on. So it's time to slam the hammer, as we call it, on a few unsuspecting souls who, unfortunately for them, expressed an interest in something and now are legally obligated to talk to us about it. Gareth, who do you want to slam the hammer to this week? Uh, so my hammer this week, uh, my mother taught for 15 years at Butler University and it was when I was growing up, uh, I went to Butler basketball camp when Thad Motto was one of the coaches there. Uh, I've always followed Butler. I got the privilege of seeing them twice in the national championship game uh, under head coach Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens is now, of course, the head coach of the Boston Celtics. He gets love from such luminaries as Greg Popovich. The more you read about Brad Stevens, everybody talks about how all he ever wanted to do was coach basketball. He talks about how he all, all he ever wanted to do was coach basketball, and it's why he quit working as a pharmaceutical rep. I have to think that Brad Stevens is into something other than basketball, but I have not heard about it. So I'm slamming the hammer to Brad Stevens, Boston Celtics head coach, to come on and reveal to us what he is into besides basketball. That's a really good one. I've been thinking about this too, because most of my hammers are to people with an established interest, but there are people out there who just are kind of public blank slates. Another good one. He's not my hammer, but Andy Dalton. Um, I'm from Cincinnati. I follow the Bengals closely. I was on his Twitter. I think I scrolled back like four years and there's nothing on there except for, Big game coming. I'm with my family. I love them. And 
Uh, I've lost my bags. Yeah, I've lost my bags. And, you know, hashtag find Andy's bags. And then, you know, charity event. So that's another guy. I, I think we should occasionally identify people who just have not, you know, talked openly about it. And then let's, as a public service to the greater good. Absolutely. Seek that out. Hmm. We're, we're detectives. I like it. Yep. Um, an, yeah, an very enigma. good. Also, a real quick aside. Uh-huh. Gareth and I attended the Final Four in Indianapolis. The cycle, it, it goes through Indy every few years. And I think, Gareth, yep. isn't, isn't that because of the connection Indiana has to the just college basketball history? The Hall of Fame is there, right? It's partly that and that the NCAA is now headquartered there. Right. I'd also like to say, as much as Indy is a city I never want to live in, it is perfectly set up for those big events. Perfect. Totally agree. It is all the hotels downtown. You can walk to the big stadium. Yep. And... As of the last Super Bowl, they became an open container city, so you can walk around downtown Indianapolis with a drink. Wow. Well, where was that? So this is what I was getting at. So in 2006, we went to see Florida. (laughs) So Gareth had tickets, and he's like, let's go. Okay, I kind of was like, you're going to bring me to the Final Four, right? So we went to see Florida, Florida, George Mason, UCLA, and LSU. We went. There were only at that time. There were only like a handful of bars downtown. Indy's kind of like Cincinnati or those, you know, kind of cities with huge metropolitan downtowns that just disappear on weekends because everyone goes back to the burbs. So, we're all the bars were completely full. So we're like, let's just go inside and we'll like drink some beers in the stadium. So we went inside like eight hours before the game started, and walked <laughs> the entire way around the old Hoosier Dome, RCA Dome or whatever it was called. And looking for a beer stand and nothing. And then we realized they don't sell beer at the Final Four. Mm-hmm. We can't leave because no admission <laughs> with, with your ticket already done. So Gareth and I just hiked up to our, our seats at the very top of the Hoosier Dome and sat and stared at each other in silence for about eight hours with no alcohol. Uh, the, the only part of that story that is untrue is the stared at each other in silence because as any listener of this podcast would know – we can talk the bark off a tree. So yeah. we just talked. The other thing I do vividly talk remember the bark from off that, a tree. Is that what you exactly. said? Exactly. Yeah, I did. Hey, I thought we don't see color on this podcast. No, so, just regions. Uh, yeah, good point. Good point. Just hick. Um, the other thing I do remember vividly from that day is Brad, we were standing in line to get food because he couldn't get beer. And there was some dude with a big plastic blue gator on his head. And Brad just turned to me and goes, could you imagine just being a Florida fan? And they went on to win two championships in the next two years. Yeah, so. buying that stock low, it was a good time for them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we wore the Jorge Mason shirts that uh, I made at my house. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, nice. Adam, who's your And hammer? what was arguably the worst Final Four ever played? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, this actually just occurred to me. Um, so my first job, as you guys know, was at the University of Colorado working primarily for the football team, but also, uh, then during the off season, we worked men's and women's basketball. Uh, the women's basketball that team that year, um, happened to go to the sweet 16. One of their best players was Kate Fagan who is now a writer um, for ESPN. She's wrote a memoir about the difficulties of being a lesbian athlete. Um, and I'm uh, at the time, uh, it's, not, it's nothing that she talked about while she was in um, college, but she has had a growing reputation as an activist and an excellent reporter as well. 
uh, in the media community, and I would really like to bring her on and talk to her more. I'm into it. Gareth, you into it? That's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, No, that's awesome. My hammer is going out to, for now, Washington professional football team quarterback Kirk Cousins. I reached out to Kirk's team uh, this past week <laughs> because Kirk is big into HG, HGTV shows. Uh, I thought you, uh, you were going to say HGH. Uh, yeah, HGH. <laughs> Kirk's wife got a shipment of something recently, and uh, I'm freelancing for Al Jazeera TV. Um, Kirk is big into the shows, like home improvement shows, stuff like Fixer Upper. I watch a ton of these shows, too. I love them. So I wanted to have him on. I actually engaged in a uh, Twitter back and forth with Allison Victoria, the host of um, Kitchen Crashers, uh, with uh, us talking about Kirk's love of the show and that kind of stuff. I reached out to Kirk's rep, who got back to me right away, and just said, we're not, we're not doing media right now. So this just I think this just shows how we really do stay in our lane on Just Not Sports. So all I was thinking of was like HGTV, Home Improvement, this is going to be great. Then I just was like, hmm, I'll Google Kirk. Oh, enormous contract <laughs> talks and dispute with uh, Washington over his status with the team. He may walk. It's like all anyone's talking about. Fair. Probably not the time you just emerged from a media blackout to talk about Kitchen, kitchen Crashers and Fixer Upper. So, Kirk, when the contract is decided, and I'm sure it's going to be very soon, Safe space, buddy. You come on. Let's talk about the leakage I've got in my basement and whether I need to patch it up myself. Let's talk about whether I can get a, a gerarium built on the back of my house. Let's talk about uh, whether subway tile backsplash is going to be a thing in five years or whether it's timeless and elegant and simple. And let's talk about Allison Victoria. Mm-hmm. Host of Kitchen Crashers. I love her. Guys, given that I am a uh, Brooklyn apartment hipster uh, and I do not own a home or am capable of little more than changing a light bulb, I also want to talk to Kirk Cousins, but about his numerous references to Tolkien and Middle Earth that were used in his uh, NFL films wire this year. So I will lay out in TV parlance on the HGTV stuff. But we're going to take a turn halfway through that conversation with Kirk, and we're getting into some serious nerd talk at the end there. Because he's dropping that stuff on the field to his teammates with a wire from NFL Films for all time. He is clearly a Tolkien nerd. I'm into it. Now, let me PR this shit for a minute. So, Kirk, I know Brad let you off the hook because there's all this news about your contract out there and course you don't want to make any media appearances but what better way to stay in the news without making any news about football than coming on just not sports this is a safe place we want to talk about what you're interested in because that's when we get our best material i don't care about your contract unless it has to do with you buying more lord of the rings movies or statues or memorabilia I don't statues. care about your money. Whole statues. <laughs> yeah. Like, like just stone orcs. <laughs> all um, throughout his yard. Brad, if you like the That's Lord where of, it crosses over. If you like the Lord <laughs> of the Rings and all of a sudden you had $2.5 million, your ass would have a statue too. 
Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> of course. You wouldn't buy an orc, dude. Orcs are the, they're evil. They're terrible. They're fallen elves, man. This is imaginary. They're security. No one's going to rob that house. Five dude, elves are front. immortal. You buy an elf statue for to put in front of your HGTV approved house. Oh, uh, this nerd stuff. This is why I only subscribe to stuff. Like I was just Star trying to get Wars, this guy to come on the podcast. Nerdy. I said statue, and you guys were outraged by it. This is a crazy shit. Yeah. Well, uh, Kirk, it's all it's all fair game. Come on the show, and you at no, home. No. It's not all fair game. Football, your contracts with the Washington football team. None of that is on the yeah. table. I don't care. I don't <laughs> want to. I don't want to hear about RG three pouting with the clipboard. I just want to hear about your nerdy hab- hobbies. Unless he's reading Lord of the Rings underneath it, like uh, Johnny Mox in, Moxon in uh, Varsity Blues, instead of reading the clip uh, playbook. <laughs> uh, if you've got someone you want us to talk to, email. JustNotSports at gmail.com. Tweet us at JustNotSports right now. Your daddy played his heart out for me. That's why I cut your ass yet. I don't want your statue. Um, We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk to Jeremy Evans of the Dallas Mavericks about his art and the big win in the NBA Talent Challenge. And then a little bit later, we'll go right into a talk on punk rock and really all forms of music with CBS NFL insider Jason LaConfora. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Oh, now look here, my boy. It's about to start. Fill it, my boy, with the sound of your heart. Make it go boom, sha la 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 Make it go quick and then run, run, Right now we're talking to Jeremy Evans of the Dallas Mavericks, who completely beat down the competition in the first ever NBA Talent Challenge over All-Star Weekend. And he did that with his artistic skills. So today we're going to break down his style, his passion for art, and much more. Jeremy, I got to know, did you get a trophy for winning the Talent Challenge, or was TNT just too cheap, my friend? Uh, actually, I didn't get a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, they showed me a lot of love, so... Uh, what was your reaction to the show? And we're going to talk a lot more about your overall style beyond this, because I know this is a very small sort of showcase in your broader interest in art. But what was your reaction to the show? And what were the what was the reaction of the fans who watched it? Uh, well, my reaction to the show, I thought it was you know pretty cool that they gave us the opportunity to showcase what we did, you know, away from the court, especially you know All Star Weekend with it being such a big event. Uh, they had a chance to, you know, really let people recognize what we do. And as far as the reaction from the fans, uh, you know, I think that was great also. Like I said, for it being a great big event, uh, a lot of people, you know, they didn't know I did art. And, you know, just like myself, I didn't know that those guys, you know, played piano or saxophone, did the things they do. So I, th- I think it was just great. So... Did you did you wind up with like a big commission from Mark Cuban now? I mean, Jerry Jones has a whole art gallery down the street at Cowboy Stadium. I gotta I gotta wonder if uh, if the boss man is um, gonna lean on you to help decorate the the facility. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe hopefully it's coming. <laughs> well, we'll haven't got there far yet. We'll be tweeting at him to try and pressure uh, pressure him to do that. Uh, so when when did you first start getting into art? When did you first realize this was a particular talent of yours? Uh, well, probably I was like maybe five, five and a half years old. Um, I, I actually traced the picture, my first picture, and I told a, a friend of the family that I actually drew it. And my mom found out that I told her that, and she told me it was a lie. And as all athletes, <laughs> we love to compete. And after she told me it was a lie, uh, I wanted to get it right. So she told me, 
if I wanted to draw it, I would have to, you know, not trace it. So I took it upon myself to, you know, really try and draw it. And, you know, it came out pretty good. Started going to school, and after I saw that I was doing a little better at art than some of the other kids, it kind of stuck with it. You know, the motivation of teachers and my mom uh, just stayed with it. Do you still have that first picture? Like, my mom keeps, when I go back to my mom's house, she's got, like drawings from third grade hanging on the wall still like how much of your youth art is still still survives to this day i only have one photo and that's from like fourth grade uh everything else is gone <laughs> what was it what was the what was the piece you've got uh i think it was a king griffey a uh, baseball picture of king griffey oh like you so, uh, have that that's a good one to have, man. The sweet swing, man. He's got like the perfect form. So it's kind of like like uh, sketching uh, back in ancient Greece. You know, you want to get like the, the the perfect physical model. Right, and that was perfect form. That's, that's exactly what I drew him swinging. <laughs> <laughs> so drawing versus painting. You talked on the show a little bit about um, clearly. You know, you, you you do a lot of drawing, a lot of illustration, a lot of sketching, um, but you showed off a lot of your painting too. How? How much do you work in each of those mediums? Like, what uh, what percentage do you spend doing like pure sketch work as opposed to um, you know broader painting work as well? Uh, well, growing up, uh, of course, I did a lot of drawing, uh, pastel work, just because also it's a lot cheaper. And, uh, <laughs> as I got older, you know, college, MBA, uh, really started learning how to paint, and uh, you know, I could afford it then. So, uh, and I love, I actually love painting, but as far as the drying time with all paints, uh, it's kind of tough to do because, you know, I need time and uh, don't have much of that now. So I still have a lot of paintings that, you know, are not complete. But uh, as far as drawing and pastels, I can complete those, you know, fairly quicker. So uh, those are always good for me to do also. When you stop a painting midway through like that, is it hard to pick it back up? Like if you go a couple months after, do you just kind of lose the sort of connection to that piece or do you find yourself able to jump in and out around your schedule? Uh, yeah, sometimes, it's, you know, very tough, uh, but sometimes it's good for you just because you need the paint to dry sometimes to finish the work yeah. or, you know, layer paint on top. But also, like you said, you might have, you know, another idea or in your head. So you get motivated to do something else and you just throw that on the back burner. How, what do you think is, What's the favorite, what's your favorite piece that you've done? I know in the show you kind of talked about the big, really great portrait of LeBron, but do you have other certain works that you think stand out as as things that you would find to be your favorite creations? Um, yeah, actually I did a mural in Arkansas where I grew up. It's actually on a lady's wall and it's pretty big, but you know I did that in probably like college, so... That was that was fun, but I don't have many pictures of it. And, you know, a lot of people don't get to see that one, so uh, it was something I was, you know, proud that I accomplished. What's the mural? What what did you what did you create? Uh, it was a picture she wanted. It was like two pillars and uh, like flowers and uh, like some roses and stuff, maybe some bushes and things and steps. So it's it's pretty cool. Do you have certain subjects that like? stand out to you? I know, in, again, in the Talent Challenge, they kind of showcased you've done everything from other NBA players to self-portraits to, you know, entertainers like Tupac. Is there, 
are there certain figures or certain subjects that you prefer to tackle uh, for any particular reason? Uh, well, I, like you said, I like doing portions from you know the show, but uh, just because you know it's it's fun to see people you know recognize who it is. But also, I would like to get into more abstract work. Uh, I just find myself you know it's kind of tough for me, but I want to do abstract and las- landscapes. But like I said, just time consuming. Yeah, actually, we were going to ask, like, how much, like, I know a lot of the work that you've shown is is figurative. Like, how much uh, do you see yourself venturing over to abstract um, styles? Talk a little bit about, I don't think the average person at home who maybe knows you from the NBA and maybe doesn't have an appreciation for art. Can you talk about the challenge with venturing into a new style of art and what that what that process is like for you as an artist to branch out and to try new things? Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's always fun and it's always tough to think about trying new things. And uh, just for me in abstract, uh, you know, sometimes I look at it and I say, man, it's just, you know, somebody threw paint just on a canvas. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes that may be what it is, but, uh, I think it also is placement of where you put the, the paint and the strokes. So, uh, and for me, that's been tough learning how to do it. Uh, and I feel like, you know, some abstract artists, you know, they, they master that. So hopefully I can get a chance to do that also. Yeah. I don't know if you've, if you know the work of Desmond Mason, he played in the NBA and he, he does a lot of abstract painting work. Uh, have you, have you at all been familiar with him? Yes. Uh, actually, one of my, my trainers in Utah told me a lot about him. Yeah, no, I was gonna say he's he's got a show coming out in New York. I don't. Uh, it's 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 interesting. I, do do you know of any other members of sort of the basketball community that are dabbling in this space that maybe you that we just haven't been exposed to just yet, uh, or is this something that you feel like you're kind of on an island and it's you and it's Desmond and and not a lot of others that are putting this much time into it. Yeah, right now I feel like I'm on an island. But uh, <laughs> like I said, they they could have thought the same thing until the show, you know, not knowing who's able to do what. So, uh, yeah, I feel like if they're out there, hopefully they'll, you know, come forward. Because I'm always looking for someone to draw or paint with, and uh, even just friends. I mean, it's always tough to find someone. Do your teammates let you draw them? Uh, I mean – like when you say let me, I mean, I, I will draw them, like just find a picture on the internet or something, or, you know, if we're in a, uh, some kind of meeting, I may sketch something, but, you know, well, do they ever, sure they would. Do they sit for you? Do, do, do you like to, do you like to use live models at all? Or do you always work off of existing photographs and other, other stuff? I mean, I, I have, you know, in the past, maybe, you know, college, but, Right now, I mean, when I leave the gym, there's really nobody in my house. So, <laughs> and then you know, we're with the guys so much. Uh, yeah, when we leave each other, I mean, we don't. After that, it's over. With. Yeah, no, I can imagine. That's that's the nature of sports, right? Like you guys are with each other all the time. So I can imagine after a six-game road trip and endless practice, Dirk doesn't want to just sit down and do an extra two hours uh, posing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, only a couple, I know you got to get going a couple more questions if you're okay. I'm just curious, like, do you, you know, a lot of people talk about, um, painters, uh, the most accomplished painters being very talented sketchers, very talented drawers. And that 
really drawing has a very unique relationship to painting. So do you, can you just describe a little bit more about that dynamic between your skill as a, you know, in drawing and how that helps you uh, relay into working with paints? Uh, yeah, uh, I started off drawing, never really touched a paintbrush until, uh, like I said, I was older. Uh, and I feel like, you know, you can draw the picture, you can always fill it in just saying it's like you're coloring. Just learn how to paint, put the, you know, paint between the lines. But, uh, and after you learn, you know, learn how to do that, you can go on and just start off by just using mostly paint. So uh, after college, I learned how to do that, and, you know, put the pencil down and just go for what I know. So, uh, I mean, that's just about it. So let's just say you get stranded on a desert island. What number pencil are you bringing for your, your sketches? Do you have a, pre- a preferred uh, preferred model? Uh, I'll probably go with a, a F or H. <laughs> <laughs> How I'm come? The, the, B, the B tends to be darker, and it's kind of you know hard, harder to erase. So I'll go with probably one of the lighter numbers. <laughs> now, do, now, do you collect? Do you collect art? Do you have um, like a, a kind of a burgeoning um, home collection, or is that not something that you've spent a lot of time doing just yet? Uh, not, not yet. Just because I really don't have a home that I, I've been staying in, you know, like just a basic place for myself. But and then I look at other artists, you know, I admire them and everything. But you know, I always have in the back back of my head that you know I could do that, or I could do something, you know, like that. And I mean, it's this is my house see if I can do, you know, the artwork to put it up on on the wall. Right. If you, now, how much interest have you had with people wanting to buy your pieces? You mentioned doing a mural for someone in Arkansas, like, especially since the show out, imagine it's given you an even greater exposure. I know, I know there's been people that have written stories about you going back to the, the Utah days. I know that the slam dunk contest was a great showcase for your art, but how much interest have you gotten in either putting together kind of a show or, um, you know, just making more individual artworks for people who might want to purchase them? Uh, actually, you know, a pretty good number of people have asked me to do stuff and, you know, talked about shows, even where I went to college. And just all goes back to that, you know, I need more time. Right. I don't have time to really paint anything. Yeah. Well, the last question, you know, about time. I know fans have this kind of, some fans have this expectation that athletes are just, oh, hey, when they're not in the gym, they should be watching film and they should be thinking basketball or thinking sports. But we, on this show, we feel like you guys need creative outlets. You can't just be a robot thinking about sports all the time. You're a human being. What role has art played for you as an expression or as a, as a critical ability for you to break free from the rigors of um, being a professional athlete? Uh, just like you said, uh, we all need to get away sometimes. And even though it's, it's not like leaving the the city or, you know, our, our practice area, just go home and, you know, relax. And for me, I like to relax, you know, painting, drawing, or, you know, some people who have video games or just rest and taking naps, it's different stuff. Well, the one thing, the one thing I gotta, I gotta hit you hard on, man, is we need to see more of this artwork on Twitter. I, I went to your Twitter, and I'm just not. It, it, it was seeing like one post every few weeks. Come on, let's get like a daily sketch or something. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna vow to do that. <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna troll you on Twitter and keep you honest on that, man. Every time you put something up, I'm gonna be like, all right, uh, what, what else? <laughs> 
I will look out. My first one will come today. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, thank you so much for making the time. We'll let you get uh, get back. Hopefully, you're you're leaving the basketball behind today and going back to to create something. And thank you very much for joining. Congratulations on the uh, the showcase that was the talent challenge. And I hope more people are exposed to your art and you just keep doing it. It's great. All right. Thank you. Thanks, man. This is uh, Jason Lockin for us, CBS Sports NFL insider, uh, written and worked for years about all the most latest breaking NFL news, and we're not here to talk to him about any of that. Uh, if you follow Jason's Twitter feed, he is one of the most active people in talking about rock and roll, punk rock, anything of that sort, especially that stuff based around its... Uh, I don't know, one of its home bases, Baltimore and Washington, D.C. So, Jason Lockenfora, welcome to Just Not Sports. Thanks for having me, man. This is a welcome relief. I don't have to worry <laughs> about breaking down any contracts or, or uh, overanalyzing Cam Newton, what he said, what he didn't say, what he should have said. This is great. So, Jason, it's Brad. I just have a really, really deep-cut question for you right here. I wore a Dead Kennedys t-shirt in my junior year high school photo, and I didn't know any of their songs. We're already and, boys. And, am I, you had me at hello. I, yeah. didn't know, I didn't know any of their songs, though, so does that make me the ultimate poser? Well, but you do now, right? Eventually the t-shirt <laughs> led you to explore the greatness of East Bay Ray and Jello Biafra and the whole crew, right? Please tell uh, me yes. The answer to that question is yes. I'm just going to say yes because I'm afraid. <laughs> you say yes. Yeah, yes. just say yes. You, so, no, I mean, but if, if you haven't, I, I would suggest starting with Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables, which is my favorite Dead Kennedys album. And <laughs> yeah. then maybe checking out Frank and Christ, and then there's some great bootlegs I could turn you on to. Um, Nazi, are we allowed to cuss on this? Where yeah. is this going? Oh, definitely. Nazi punks fuck off helped inspire Yeah, that okay, show. there you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's where I was going there. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's weird. For whatever reason, the Dead Kennedys were a huge band in Baltimore. Like, when I was a kid like probably 10, 11, and we hung out with older kids who like skateboarded and stuff. Like uh, there was, you could not go to any little like ramp and not hear Dead Kennedys as a kid. Um, so yeah, I mean, I literally grew up on that stuff and I got a chance to see uh, uh, Jello, you know, because they split up. Like that's the one band that if you could like tell me you could put a band back together and like all original members because they're all still alive, as crazy as that sounds. Like, that would be the band. Yeah. And actually, a buddy of mine, Brian Slagle, who owns a record label, Metal Blade, is a huge DK fan. And he told me at one point, like, he and some of the guys from Slayer were willing to put up, a, like, a, a significant amount of money, like, in the millions, to get those guys to come together, like, drop all their lawsuits, and do, like, a short <laughs> club tour. And they wouldn't do it. Wow. That is so punk rock, man. Yeah, um, but I saw Jello play uh, at a crap club in Baltimore a few years back with the Guantanamo Bay Rejects. And I hope I get a chance to see him one more time at least. But uh, no, Dead Kennedys is near and dear to my heart. What's that? Be prepared. Like as a kid who wore a Dead Kennedys t-shirt, like people would always be like, hey, what are you talking about? Are you, are you, are you making fun of Kennedy being assassinated? <laughs> so you, you, you tend to get, especially if you had, you know, the ones that just said DK, you were all right. But if they had said like Dead Kennedys on the back, then you were in trouble. Yeah, I just had the DK, the DK model, like the black shirt with the red, the red and the white logos. It was great. So, what made you buy that? There has to be a story. Like you just thought it was cool. 
We had this like record store in our town called Looney T Birds, which I know make Gareth smile. And I don't, yeah, I think it was like my friends were kind of dabbling. I was more, I was more like grunge rock than I was punk. Um, I had an appreciation for it um, and a working knowledge. Of, where do you where do you think all that stuff started? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like it's that I I totally get the connection, but I just I wasn't gonna like dive deep. And hey, man, for the younger listeners out there, it wasn't like you just went to a computer and googled it. You had to like go spend sixteen dollars on a on a on a Dead Kennedys album if you could find it. And we lived in rural Ohio, so I just uh, I don't know why I made the connection. I don't know why I did that, but it's a strange sort of non sequitur in my in my personal history. Wow. Well, there's there's a. Uh... I mean, they're they're an amazing band, so influential. And uh, yeah. no, I mean, there's a lot of elements too. I mean, there's musicianship there. I mean, they're, they're you know, there's stuff that sounds sort of psychobilly. There's stuff that sounds sort of surf rock. Um, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite bands. So let me ask you then, Jason, how did you get into this? Was it an older brother? You're also from, you know, the Baltimore, D.C. area that was such a fertile hotbed for that kind of like from Bad Brains and Minor Threat, Discord yeah. Records, things like that. How did you get into this stuff? Or was it, like, was it regional? Was it familial? What what happened for you? I don't know. It's not like my parents played a lot of music and stuff. I just, um, I think I was just lucky that a lot of the, like, there were a lot of older kids sort of in our, our I grew up in, a, in, in East Baltimore, like in Baltimore City. Um, and our mm. neighborhood is mostly sort of, um, well, the demographics have changed now, 40 years later, but at the time it was a, mostly um, a lot of Polish immigrants, a lot of Italian immigrants, and, for, and so soccer was a huge part of my upbringing because everybody played and, and there were coaches in my mm-hmm. neighborhood who, um, like, you couldn't go anywhere and not see a soccer ball. There were guys who played professional soccer in the old NASL. So, like, that, there was soccer everywhere, and for whatever reason, like, there was just a lot of people we hung out with were listening to, like, a lot of class, um, a lot of early Cure stuff, the Smiths, a lot. I mean, it seemed like, I, I, I mean, for whatever reason, I just remember being, again, at so many skate ramps, and there were, you'd hear, like, Dead Kennedys, you'd hear Suicidal Tendencies, you'd hear The Clash, you'd hear The Smiths. I just think I was lucky um, that I just kind of heard it early on, and I don't know, I just was like, this is pretty cool, like, I, I, you know, and then, then it just made me want to just hear other bands. Um, we had some really cool college radio, um, and actually still five minutes from my house at Towson University. Um, they have what I think is one of the best, you know, college rock stations. It's an NPR station that, that's all music, and it, the playlists are, are great, and I, that's pretty much what I listen to in the car. So I had sort of those elements. And then um, I had some older cousins who were really into metal. So I, I would hear a lot of Black Sabbath and a lot of mm-hmm. early ACDC. Um, you know, and then, I, and then as a kid, the first concert I ever went to was at the Baltimore Civic Center in, like, fall of 82. So I was, like, eight. I think I was in... My, my son Rocco's eight now. He's in third grade. I was probably in third grade. And I just browbeat my dad into taking me to see <laughs> Iron Maiden and Quiet Riot. And oh. it was a school night and everything. And, I mean, again, I was eight years old. And, you know, we only lived, like, ten minutes from the arena. It's not like we had to travel far. And I just remember right. that morning, like, waking up to go to school and him putting, the, like, the tickets next to, like, my Cheerios. And I was like, no way. And so we got there, and immediately it's like, what are these smells? Who are these people? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> it was F-bombs everywhere, you know, and he's just looking at me like, what did you get me into? There was, like, a fight. These dudes got dragged out of an ambulance. Um, you know, and then it was, you know, Quiet Riot was torn for Metal Health, and uh, uh, Iron Maiden was torn for Number of the Beast. And 
I mean, I still love those albums. And, like, you know, they blew up Eddie on stage, and my dad was like, that's it, we're going home, you're not staying here any longer. But it was like, that was it. Like, from that point on, I was like, okay, like, that's a rock show. Like, I want to see more of these. Um, And I I don't know, my brother, what's that? I was going to say, that Quiet Riot album, uh, underrated, I know it was, it was... I think you could you could make the argument that it, even though it's a softer sound than what Metallica and the, those bands were doing at the time, it was like one of the first really crossover onto MTV metal sounds that got oh, yeah. huge. And I think some of those songs they're poppy, but they hold up. I mean, if you hear "Come On, Feel the Noise," um, you're gonna you know you're gonna turn it up. Oh, and even like "Loves a Bitch," like there's some songs on there like it's not the greatest written record in the world, but yeah. for what it was. Yeah, I think it stands out, you know, but then I got more into, like, Motley Crue, and, I mean, the first two Crue albums, like, I'll, I mean, I'll listen to Shout at the Devil anytime. Like, I mean, that, that to me, is an epic album, and there's not a whole lot of filler on there. Um, so, yeah, I just sort of had the bug, and my younger brother, we're only about two, not even two years apart, he was really big into hip-hop, and he got to be a pretty prominent DJ. So he, I would go to a lot of, like, house parties and stuff with him where it was all house music, it was all, um, you know, first sort of wave of, of hip-hop. It was all, you know, the message and, and all, you know, sort of the first yeah. stuff coming out of the Boogie Down Bronx and, and Brooklyn and all that. So, I mean, I could remember, like, one Christmas wanting, like, you know, Run DMC's new album and wanting, like, Ride the Lightning or whatever. You know what I mean? I just yeah. always been, I don't know, like, I, that never seemed odd to me. And so by the time I get to high school and I'm going to concerts and it's, like Primus, Anthrax, and Public Enemy, my whole thing was, why didn't this happen sooner? Like, why did it take, like, you know, 15 years of my life for that to happen? Like, that should have been happening in the early 80s. That was that was kind of a seminal moment for me, too. I remember buying uh, Apocalypse 91, which ended with the Bring the Noise remix with Public Enemy and Anthrax, mm-hmm. and it was just like, whoa, you can have both. And I, I just remember, like... As I get older, I think that's, like, the coolest people I knew were people who just liked anything and everything, as opposed to just trying to kind of segregate their tastes and things like that. Um, which, Jason, I actually kind of want to talk to you about that. Like, you're somebody who, based off your social media presence, I kind of got to know, or I thought of you as, like, a, I don't know, Baltimore-area punk guy, but you like it all man, like you're tweeting about Metallica at the Super Bowl two weeks ago. It seems to me like if it's loud or authentic, you're into it. You have a really wide-ranging taste, correct? Yeah, I think if if it strikes me as being like totally real and just sort of DIY, like to me, NWA, like even when I heard it, I was like, like the first time, you know, I heard their first album, that to me was completely punk rock. I mean, that did not, that did, that Mm. struck me as like, these are people creating their, like, just taking it in a completely area that where no one did before and sort of shifting the paradigm. So to me, that wasn't, like, a stretch at all. But, I mean, as I got older, I grew, like, I love Tony Bennett. I love Frank Sinatra. One of the greatest concerts I ever went to in my life was Al Green at a free outdoor show, and it was 105 degrees outside, and he was the oldest dude there, and he never broke a sweat. Like, I mean, I saw Stevie Wonder recently, like, finally for the first time. That was mine. Was that the song in the Key of Life? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was absolutely, I'd never, I don't know if I've ever been to a concert and, like, got, like, all, like, full body goosebumps more than that. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, like, every other song was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. So, I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, I love sort of, like, what I consider to be true country music, which is, like, sun record stuff. 
and Hank Williams Sr. And, I mean, I love Merle Haggard. I mean, Motorcycle Cowboy is such an awesome album. Um, I love Johnny Cash. Uh, Dead so I don't know. If it, you know what I mean? Good. If it's real, like, I just tend to gravitate towards it. Um, and I think I've always kind of had a discerning ear to be able to tell when something's just super derivative. Like, I can kind of sniff it out real quick. You know what right. I mean? Like, you would have never in a million years like got me to buy a bush album you know what i mean like it's just what you could never like <laughs> it just would never happen like just like coldplay at this like i, I can yeah. remember just so many arguments i got in people when like coldplay got big i'm like just listen to radiohead it's the real like what are you doing like no no coldplay sucks let me explain why like so i just think i don't know it's it's and it matters to me you know what i mean for whatever geeky reason it matters to me like i want people to like be like no 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 the reason you like this is because of this band 20 years ago like, here, listen totally. to Perubu. You know what I mean? Like, here, listen to Rocket from the Tomb. Like, there's just so much of the best stuff never got exposed. You know what I mean? Right. Like, as a kid, I grew up Fishbone, like, for a big period of time was my favorite band. And, like, I would see the Chili Peppers open up for Fishbone. I would see all these bands open up for Fishbone, no effects. And then the other band always ends up, like, becoming, like, huge. And they, these guys are, like, you know, unemployed musicians. So, I don't know. Like, it, it kind of, like became a bit of a cause for me like now if i have some little whatever little crap platform i do have i'd rather turn people on to like real shit than whatever they're listening to on the radio yeah I, we had a friend I, i'm curious where you draw the line with with punk because it's so much the the it, there's a huge range for what is categorized as, as punk rock we know depending on the era depending on the scene it emerged from and just the overall style of the music and how much is more geared in attitude versus um versus actual musicianship like we had a friend in in high school who would just put on like Gigi Allen like while he's doing homework, and I thought that was insane because right. Gigi Allen is a crazy person, or at least a stage persona. Yeah, and that was nuts. Where where do you kind of draw the line from? Hey, this is the level of musicianship or the certain style that I like um, uh, to actually sit down and listen to in, as a form of music versus the broader sort of attitudinal, um, you know, yeah, piece like, of the band. I, I Pure shock. <laughs> Right. I would say for me, the, as I've gr gotten older and as I've matured, the stuff that I ne that now resonates the most with me, a lot of it, is like stuff from like just sort of when the New York Dolls are breaking up through probably like 78 or 79. Um, like I'm Johnny Thunder solo stuff, whatever the heartbreakers you can find on vinyl or elsewhere, you know, especially if you've got anything, any concerts, anything you can find from when Richard Hell was actually with them, like Richard Hell and the Voidoids, um, you know, all that stuff. I mean, The Clash are probably my favorite band. Like, as a kid, I hated Sandinista. Now Sandinista is far and away my favorite Clash album for so many different reasons, you know what I mean? And that, to me, is the most punk rock thing they could have done. Like, let's invent, like, world music and all these other genres that still have our same ethos at a time when everybody's expecting us to make this, let's make that. And not just do it to do it, but to be able to produce basically a quadruple album. And right. there's not many songs to this day that I'll skip over. Um, and just so many deep cuts and so many amazing songs on there that nobody's really given the time of day like they should. Um, like, I don't know, I grow, I grow to sort of appreciate that more. Like television. I mean, when I was, if, when I was like 18, I would be like, no, I don't want to listen to Marky Moon. You know, I just want to listen to like, whatever, some Cro-Mags album or something. You know what I mean? Dude, Marky like, Moon is the Frampton Comes Alive. Of it's it's so Man. tremendous. Like that I is, actually got a chance to yeah. see those guys. Well, not obviously not the full original lineup. But um, 
they opened the Rough Trade record store in Brooklyn a few years ago, and the first event there was like two nights of television playing. And like I bought, I got, I bought tickets from a scalper. It ended up being fake tickets. Like I was a total clown. Like this guy met me on the other side of town to like sell me these tickets. Like all my spider senses were telling me like these are going to be fake tickets, but I just wanted to go so bad. I said screw it. So I got there. Of course, they're counterfeit tickets. But then they had like a couple of unclaimed will call tickets in the back, so like you can buy these at face value, and it was mind blowing. I mean, it was mind blowing. That's, that's honestly, I've said it, but to any of our listeners, my favorite thing is following Jason on Twitter on Fridays when you come up to do CBS and the NFL Today. On Sunday, you're coming up on Friday and Saturday and tweeting about a show that you're going to. I mean, that is one of my favorites. Um, unfortunately, we've got a time for a couple more questions. But the one I have to ask you is, you talk about The Clash being your favorite band. I mean, that's taken on a bigger thing for you, no? And then, frankly, the name of your son. Yeah, yeah. We, we thought we were done it, too. So when we found out we were having a third, it was a surprise on a lot of levels. Um, and it's, I couldn't imagine life without him. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's a piece of work. Um, but yeah, Mateo's middle name is Strummer. I convinced my wife to go for that. She wouldn't go for Strummer as a first name, and I think it would have totally like my parents' heads would have exploded. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he uh, and he certainly he's he's uh, yeah. I guess you could say he's a little punk rocker. You certainly can't tell him what to do. He's definitely a do-it-yourself kind of a kind of a awesome. kid. So yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully or not, hopefully he's going to live up to his namesake. I think. Well, um... there you go. That yeah, that that's awesome. And Jason, we we end every interview, and, and thank you so much for the time and the passion here. That's exactly why we started the show. Um, we end every interview because we know athletes get sucked into those awful aptitude tests, like the Wonderlic. So we have the Just Not Sports Wonderlike, which is five questions about what you like. So I got five okay. questions about punk, locked and loaded. Are you ready? okay? I I better be. How you think you're gonna do? You strike me as a four for five. I don't, know, I don't know which direction we're going in. I don't. Right. I, I, I have zero I've, expectations for myself here, Jason. I've seen the questions, and based off the answers you've given throughout this interview, I think we're going to look at a perfect score here. You will be a oh, first round draft pick. Setting the bar, sure. setting the bar very high. Yeah. There. Come on now. So, what perpetually, what perpetually shirtless singer is known as the Godfather of punk? What are you talking about, Gigi Allen? Is that who we're going with here? Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop, that's right. All right, one they for one. They both like to cut themselves, so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Number two, New York Dolls member David Johansson released a hip-hop song called Hot, Hot, Hot oh under God. what what yeah, stage Buster name? Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter is correct. Is correct. Johnny Saunders is, that is a my low favorite moment? doll, though. Okay, there you I go. I don't know. It is what it is. I, I mean, it was so campy and over the top. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to, dude, who am I to, to yeah. judge his bunk credentials? Hey, he... He he probably still gets residuals from that, so no judgment. Um, I actually listened to the dolls on the on the elliptical today. Awesome! Wow, what? Yeah, so there you go. No, that is. I did not listen to the point out. There, though. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. Everyone knows Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. Who is the drummer of the Sex Pistols? Oh jeez. Why am I? Early second rounder, I guess. We're listening yeah, for typing. Yeah, I'm not a big Sex Pistols guy. <laughs> Paul Cook. Paul Cook was the drummer. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I didn't know it either. I. That's an impossible yeah, task. All right. What band famously sang the track "Punk Rock Girl"? Oh my God! So I don't even really consider them a punk rock band. Um, what the hell are they called from Philadelphia? Oh. Uh... 
Big Most left of the dial man. radio. Think lactose and tonic. Dead milkman. Dead milkman. And the final one. You're three for four right now. Final one. What 1980s metal band covered Anarchy in the UK? Oh, that's easy. Motley Crue. Megadeth. Motley Crue did as well. Oh, they did? All right, well, bo- you get you get bonus points for correcting yeah, I'm, I'm, correcting I'm, the I'm, test. I'm pretty sure. We could, <laughs> you could Google it right now, but I, I, I mean, I can definitely remember hearing Vince Neil sing that. Oh, all right, we will Google that. Well, hey. Yeah, uh, double check that. There could be more than one answer to that one. I will. And you know what? You The fact that you even called us out, that means you get it. That's a perfect five. Motley five, Crew man. did indeed cover uh, Anarchy in the UK, but uh, there are plenty of videos online of them doing that. There and you go. Given so that's got to count as an accurate answer. Exactly. Right. Yeah, Doing your professed love for the crew, that, that's legit. Nice. Uh, yeah. thank, you for, thank you so much for joining us. As the pod goes on and you see any good shows, let us know. We would love to have you on again and go for longer. And we promise you do not have to talk contract status, draft, yeah, no, anytime. anything like that. Anytime. Yeah, I saw a lot of good shows this past year. We'll see. I'm, I think the next thing I'm going to see is uh, uh, Greg Dooley from the Afghan Wigs is doing a solo, doing a solo tour. So he's playing like at like these like temples and churches and stuff, all these kind of odd venues. So he's playing at some church in D.C. in a couple of weeks. So I got to see that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks you so much, Jason. Really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, man. My pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. Today's show is sponsored by The Weatherneck. We spend a lot of time around athletes and super active people, and two things really stand out to us. They love staying active outdoors all year round, and they need quality equipment to do that. Enter the Weatherneck. The Weatherneck is a modern take on the bandana that's quick, quiet, clean, and comfortable, and it's designed specifically for performance outdoors. It features high-tech fabrics and powerful magnets that make it today's outdoor bandana, and it's comfortable. The center mesh section allows for full breath when active outdoors, and the wicking fabrics eliminate the nasty soaking wetness that can bunch up in fleeces. Everyone knows what it's like to put on like a knit scarf, try to be on a bike out in the cold. It's just awful. Your face gets super wet. And it's super convenient. It removes in one second with one hand. That's amazingly helpful if you're on the bike, on the run, or just outdoors doing your thing. I know the guys who created this. They are super smart, super passionate, the types of people I would trust. Go check out theweatherneck.com. It's available for pre-order right now. Place an order today. A few weeks ago, Denver Broncos linebacker Vaughn Miller showed up on the Weekend Update desk to talk about science. But what started as a discussion about gravitational force quickly turned into a lesson about forcing fumbles in Super Bowl 50. Let's take a listen. Let me put it like this. Picture two huge forces slamming together, like, say, me and Cam Newton. (laughs) Well, you're just talking about football, man. No, I'm talking about science. Now, these forces that collide and make gravity waves, like when, I, like when I collided with Cam Newton and forced him to fumble. <laughs> All right, sounds like you're bragging. Are you, are you sure you're not bragging about this? Come on, I, I told you this is science, man. Okay. Now, these waves are everywhere in the universe, just like I'm everywhere when Cam Newton closes his <laughs> Between Miller's science lesson and Ronda Rousey hosting a few weeks earlier, it's been a pretty solid season for athletes on Saturday Night Live. But then again, players have been appearing with the not-ready-for-primetime players for almost 40 years, long before Miller and Rousey were even born. So, Gareth, 
Do you have a favorite memory of an athlete on Saturday Night Live? Uh, some of my earliest memories of, of Saturday Night Live are athletes hosting just because that's what I was allowed to stay up for. My actual earliest memory will keep it current, but not within the bounds of the show. It was Macaulay Culkin with the now deceased David Bowie and Tin Machine. Uh, I think I threw that out there a couple weeks ago. But uh, the other two earliest memories I have are Chris Everett randomly hosting and famously doing the sketch where she destroys a locker room. Uh, and then right. the other one that I remember most distinctly is Michael Jordan, uh, yes. which was well known and gave us the great Stuart Smalley moment between he and Michael. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball into the basket. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ba ball in the basket. Uh, Michael is probably the most talked about historical moment because I think that he was the athlete at the apex of his fame who went on. Um, he, that was 1991, so post-championship. 1991? Yeah, 1991 he did it. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But there have been other, I mean, Derek Jeter hosted, LeBron hosted, Peyton Manning hosted right after winning the Super Bowl. I just think Jordan... Brady hosted just after winning the Super Bowl. Right. Jordan's Eli just, Manning. Yeah, he's just like he's like a rare status. Like Muhammad Ali. If Muhammad Ali had hosted yep. in like nineteen seventy five, I think yeah. um that's like the rare air that he he got. Yeah. Didn't uh, Steinbrenner host once? He did. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, there's like I won't just read the list, but like it, it really kind of most of the biggest names, minus a few, which we'll actually get into in a second. Um, that you can think of in, in the four big sports have hosted along with some Olympics folks in Olympic years. So like Nancy Kerrigan, Michael Phelps, those types of people, Johnny Mosley hosted. Um, I don't know, Adam, do you have a favorite moment? Uh, I hate to repeat what uh, Gareth already said, but Jordan really was my favorite because it's the first, it's one of the, I, I remember seeing reruns of the Belushi and Eddie Murphy Saturday Night Lives, but uh, 1991, I would have been 11 years old, and it's the first Saturday Night Live that I can remember watching live. I mean, really thinking back to it uh, with that particular cast, um, the, as you said, the uh, self-esteem, uh, the self-esteem right. skit that was done, I really distinctly remember that. And since then, um, I would have to say that my favorite is Peyton Manning, Particularly the United Way skit. That's an all-time sketch. Yeah. We should have a future discussion. There's a lot to unpack historically. We're, this is a topic we should revisit later because there's great sketches. There's, like, memorable performances from people you don't even really think of as, as oh, wow, they hosted, you know? like And then you put yourself back in the moment, and you're like, of course, Chris Everett hosted. I mean, she was enormous, so that kind of stuff. Well, one thing <laughs> that I'm really, I really want to find, much like... Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. There is no broadcast record of the uh, show hosted by Joe Montana and Walter Payton, at least online. I searched all day and even found some references to nobody can find this famous sketch. It was ranked number 32 um, by Rolling Stone, and it was Sincere Guy Stu I watched featuring today, Joe Montana. Like, you watched it today? today? I watched this today. No. It took a... 30 second Google search to find this. Really? <laughs> yes. 
I searched and searched. What's the whole thing? The whole sketch is like, it ends with Joe Montana walking up the stairs and saying, I'm going to go I'll masturbate. I'll be upstairs masturbating. Yeah. Uh, listen, we'll, we'll talk quietly so as not to disturb you, okay? Oh, you won't disturb me. I'll be in my room masturbating. They won't disturb me. I'll be masturbating. Good night. Oh. Well, cut all that out. No, just leave it in. You That's know what's fine. Strange? He, I don't he mind ended, being humiliated on air. He ended every single um, press conference the same way. We're talking about masturbation. Sam, I know. I'll be upstairs. Do you know that, Joe? That's crazy. Joe Reed wasn't born yet. Yeah. I do think this brings up a few really interesting topics, though, about what makes an athlete hosting unique. First of all, the fact that Adam and I have a shared experience of Jordan being one of the first episodes we ever remember seeing. Having an athlete host is such a way to go for a big, broad audience that you're not going to get from like a hyper specific celebrity. Um, you know, like as a, as a 11 year old kid, I didn't care about a lot of movie stars in the way I cared about athletes. And that's a way to bring in an athlete. And granted, Michael Jordan was huge, but that was a way to bring in such a huge, diverse audience to Saturday Night Live that you're not going to get from the average star. Yeah, I, th- I thought about that today. And not to push back too much, I I actually think that must not be the case or else you'd see more of them. So there's only been like 30 to 40 athletes in the history of the show, which means they're averaging, you know, less than one a season. So I'm just, I just, I bet the ratings aren't, I bet if Jordan hosts, fine. Derek Jeter hosts, you know, you probably draw a national audience. But if you have Ronda Rousey, I bet there's a lot of like flyover zone America that's just like, who? And sports are still niche culture. I don't know. I'm not trying to like shit on what you said. I just no, think that's it's fine. I think dude, embrace debate, bro. Come on. <laughs> and let's <laughs> face hashtag embrace debate. And let's face it, the reason the <laughs> The the Olympic athletes were allowed to host is because the Olympics are on NBC. Yeah, uh, we do I work in sports I, marketing. <laughs> we are sports marketers. I I agree. Yeah. I also think Olympic hosts have been good. I think an underrated performance is Nancy Kerrigan, which who, I don't remember at all. Why she so? was she was good. Um, or no, let me rephrase. She was not good in her actual like. Oh, that is a big difference. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> or to put it another way, she was not. Um, she was not good in her actual performance, but she was in very memorable sketches. There's the ice skating kind of pre-taped thing where she and Chris Farley are skating, and he's just wiping oh, out. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the great. Flying yeah, that's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, there's one of my favorites is she she really lampooned her own status as like the ice princess and the Tanya Harding thing. She did this whole roundtable with other Olympic athletes, and it was like Rob Schneider was a, a biathlete who'd shot his face off. And Norm Macdonald was like a, a, a luge a luge athlete who like broke his entire body, and they're like, "Did you guys get any endorsement deals?" And they're like, "No, they gave them to Nancy Kerrigan, you know, like because she got hit in the leg." I was I, I was like that when when athletes kind of surprised you with, oh, they're willing to poke fun at themselves in a way that goes beyond just the norm. I mean, her poking fun at at how it wasn't her poking fun at Tanya Harding beating her; it was her poking fun at everyone anointing her this hero for it. Right. Which I thought was great. Well, but to, all right. So two things on that. First of all, okay. I think as a host, they become a little bit of like stunt casting, if you will. Like when they work, they work, but you don't want to overdo that sort of thing. And we, we were talking about an athlete at the level of Michael Jordan when he hosted in 91, but I do think that was a touchstone. 
But to your second point, I think that that Stuart Smalley sketch, if you put yourself back in that time, really achieved that because there was so much talk before winning that first championship about George's the best player to never win. Will he ever do it? Uh, things like that. There was a lot of talk about Jordan's psyche and his mental makeup. So to go on Saturday Night Live and embrace the humor in that was a breakthrough. And it humanized him in a way that we would not see again, maybe ever. So <laughs> Right. The other thing I was going to say was, and we'll, we'll revisit this later. I think we there's a lot more to like dive deeper into. Who's the next athlete you want to see on? So rather than looking back, like, Right now, who has not been on the show? I mean, their last few athletes, Ronda Rousey hosted this year. Eli Manning hosted a couple of years ago. They have not, They have actually waned in the past few years. They're not using athletes as, as readily as they used to um, in, the, in the 90s and 2000s especially. So who, like, do you want to see Steph Curry? Do you want to see Jordan Speed? I don't know. <laughs> You need an athlete with the sort of personality that like Peyton Manning has comic timing. Right. Um, Von Miller has a personality, but I don't know if he has like when I interviewed him, he was he was a lot flatter than I expected. Yeah. Now, some of it you got to turn on, turn off. But um, I don't know. Honestly, the guy I would think of Cam Newton's NFL commercial with that little kid about like you be my mom's favorite player and then I'll replace you. That was fucking hysterical yeah. based off that i would like i wanted cam newton to win the super bowl and host saturday night live he would have been he would have been great he has such an amazing facial expression and uh the way he can project or even as sad as he looked following the super bowl like the rain he has range um so yeah. i think he would be great um the funniest guy i've ever worked with at any level is brett Favre. Uh, i know he's past his prime uh, in terms of being an, uh, a, a notable athlete that may be able to get those kind of primetime rankings, but it's one of the quickest, uh, sharpest, smartest guys I've ever met. And as you recall, he had a bit part in something about Mary, and his comedy career kind of died after that. Bring him back, put him on SNL. What about Aaron Rodgers? Because I think he he's funny in the State Farm commercials. I think yeah. he's very bright, and he could probably think on his feet. And, and interact with the folks. He seems to care about that sort of stuff, too. And Olivia Munn does a cameo. Like, it's all right there, man. You're right. Hey, Raj, what are you doing? Make the call. Dude, are we throwing uh, hammers now for Saturday Night Live? Let's do it. Well, who cares? <laughs> I think um, – I was trying to think of other sports that aren't football or basketball because those are, like, the, the, the kind of easy places to go. LeBron's already hosted. Mm-hmm. I think Steph Curry would be, would be funny, but um, – I don't know. I mean, who? Here's one. Well, this isn't a host, but I would like to throw out this as a recent moment of sports Saturday Night Live significance. We're just almost exactly one year removed from the 40th anniversary special. And if you go back and watch that, if you look up in the crowd and the crowd shots on that were fascinating. David Wells and some of the like 2001 Yankees. Yeah. made the cut to be in the audience for the biggest night in Saturday Night Live's history. And I think it really does show how important that Yankees team was to the city of New York post-September 11th, but also in a way to Saturday Night Live, which is fascinating to me and something that like if we're throwing hammers to Saturday Night Live, I want to know what 
I'm not questioning it at all. I just want to know the story of how David Wells and those guys, what they did around that time that meant so much that when you're celebrating the all-time history of SNL, they're a big part of it. And that largely went on behind the scenes. Yeah, and Jeter, they were in a sketch with Jeter, Wells and Cohn. Um, dressed in mm-hmm. drag with Derek Jeter in that famous Yankee Wives sketch. Right. Which you, we do a whole show just on that sketch. I love that sketch. All right. Well, we will revisit this. Sparkle Ponies, email us, uh, justnotsports at gmail.com. Let us know uh, your favorite SNL memories. Maybe we'll do a follow-up show, uh, try to track down some of the guys who've been involved in some way. Right now, I just want to thank everybody in the words of Chris Cluey, we, we call you all beautiful and unique Sparkle Ponies and want to encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, at JustNotSports. Email us tips, thoughts, topics, JustNotSports at gmail.com. Let's end with some shout-outs. Who do you want to give a shout-out to, Gareth? Uh, I want to give a, We were just talking about Saturday Night Live. I want to give a shout-out to the city of New York. It was a rainy day here today. It was miserable living here. I can't believe we pay this much to live here. It sucked. Go New York. Live from it. Here we are. And most importantly, shout-out to Jason Lockenfora. Great dude. One of my favorite people I work with. Uh, I'm telling you, his Twitter account on a, any weekend of the NFL season is a blast. Uh, we're going to link up at a show next year, and I want to record some reviews from him for Just Not Sports of the rock, punk, Stevie Wonder concerts he's going to. So, Jason, you're about to become the official Just Not Sports music columnist. Enjoy. I'm going to give a shout out to Jeremy Evans of the Mavericks, who took time out of his schedule after a big road trip to talk to us about his performance in the NBA Talent Challenge. Really loved his per- participation in that. Loved all the guys, you know, kind of exposing their skills in that show. And uh, definitely think Jeremy's got a bright future ahead of him with his art. That's fantastic. And uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Joe Reed, our producer. Well, think about giving you your mic. Think about it. Adam. You control the production here. Buy yourself a mic. You have some power here. Just do it. Uh... I would like to give a shout-out to my usual list of folks. I want to say uh, shout-out to my boy, my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Legend, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and uh, uh, Your other cousin Ron? my other cousin Ron. Love those guys. Thank you for all you do. And uh, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.